Hello and welcome to another episode of How Not To Make A Game. I'm Stuart Neal, your host, and tonight my guest is Charles Wolfe. He's a professional freelance composer of music for video games, film, comic books, podcasts, live streams, and more. Hi, Charles. Hello. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, you have now been writing music for over 20 years, um, working with a variety of clients um, from around the world. That's correct. I suppose the obvious question is, how did you get into music writing? So that that's a great question. Um, when I was a kid, I was always a very musical kid. Um, there's videos of me running around the house, wearing a diaper and strumming a guitar off key singing, which is uh, quite adorable, but also uh, it just shows my energetic nature. Um, I have ADHD. Uh, that is something that I've always lived with. So I have a very uh, energetic, impulsive, creative personality type. And I, um, when I was seven, my mom decided that, okay, let's put this kid into, he likes music. I'll try to teach him how to play the piano. But I was also a seven-year-old with ADHD who wanted to run around outside and, you know, play with lightsabers and <laughs> all the things that kids want to do uh, back in the 90s. And so I was not a good fit for piano at that age. However, uh, three years later, my best friend at the time uh, played piano and he would often show, show off different things he could play, film score stuff, what have you. And I was like, that's really cool. I actually want to do that. So I started taking lessons from a uh, person at my church and uh, worked with her for a couple of uh, about six months, I would say, mm -hmm. and then progressed through her, went to another teacher and then another teacher and progressed through them uh, over the next three or four years studying piano, uh, classically trained. And then I decided, you know what, I want to study music and uh, at the college level. So I went and got a bachelor's degree in music from uh, California State University, Stanislaus. And then I went on to my master's degree in music uh, from Texas State University. Mm -hmm. um, I, I studied specifically, my concentration was in uh, music composition and music theory for both my bachelor's degree and my um, master's. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got into writing music. Because And, and the way I got into it, I would say, is because um, about six months into playing piano, I was already making up pieces of music. Like I just immediately wanted to write my own thing. Mm -hmm. Like how cool is that? How fun is that? And so that is, that's sort of, I just started writing and then getting training in it, help uh, bring it all into focus. You have worked on sort of about a dozen or so game projects and uh, nice so you have, but obviously you were composing an awful lot of other bits and pieces for um, before you started doing games. That's very, that's correct. Um, as part of my studies, I built a portfolio of work up um, in modern concert classical music. Mm -hmm. um, I've written for orchestra, choirs, wind ensembles. Um, I've done small, I've done stuff for percussion for woodwind um, combinations. I've written solo pieces for saxophone, baritone saxophone, um, especially. Mm -hmm. And I've uh, written many, many solo piano works as well. So um, yes, I have been writing lots of music over the last 20 years, but it's been an interesting, it's been a really cool to make the transition into specifically scoring for games, because now I'm taking all these skills that I've built up and then channeling it into something that has a, a real function and a purpose. Mm. One question that I've asked a previous composer that I've had on the show is, do you consider yourself to be a game developer? because you're contributing so much to a project or do you just see yourself as an additional contributor to that process? Well, for me, I think music is definitely an integral part of any, any game when mm -hmm. you're going to go and create that. 
Um, I, I really feel that it's the thing that really can make a game be distinctive from other games and other mm -hmm. things in the same genre. Uh, you think of iconic games like Zelda, like Mario. Uh, you think of more modern games like the Halo. And I hear that music start and I'm like, I know what game it is, mm -hmm. right? You just It's just tied in. So having a distinctive theme, having clear ideas musically, having texture and, and having a really good soundtrack for your game is huge. And so my contribution to it, um, it I would say in a certain sense, I am helping develop the game. And um, I have actually my very first project that I ever did. I collaborated with a friend of mine. Um, she was in insurance and then decided to go into software development. And as part of her courses that she took to get the, the transition over for her job, uh, she took a course in Unity and, ha and started using that, that great software and developed a little five-level platformer game. And then I came in and I said, I know this is kind of during the pandemic. I had kind of done a lot of reassessment of my life and what I had been doing up to that point. And I wanted a clearer direction, like I think most people did. And that, and I had up to that point been telling myself, okay, I want to be a professional composer, but I don't really know how to start this a hundred percent, even though I have all this training and I like to write music and everything, how, how do I get this ball rolling? And I had kept telling myself, I, at the time I had like a MacBook Air, mm -hmm. uh, uh, 2011. So it has four gigabytes of RAM. I have GarageBand is my DAW that I have on there. And that's all I have. And I have uh, various free uh, synthesizers that I had access to and a few small paid ones, but mostly that's it. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I have something, let's use it. Let's be creative. You have a small box, think outside the box, let's build away here. And so I scored the game for my friend. And the first game I scored was called Gem Trek. That's the game. And actually, it's now on my website, charleswolfmusic.com. And you can go and actually play that first game I scored out right on my website. And it's free and it's in your browser and it's really fun. And it's just a simple game where you jump a ship and you go across and there's like blocks moving and you're trying to avoid them and you land on the platform and you go to the next level. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. But I got that process of helping develop it by learning some C Sharp, by coding it and um, putting it all into Unity and making it all work. And it was a good first experience of what it's like to develop a game. And then since then, I've gotten that, and then I moved on to other projects and um, was able to, over the course of this last year, I've now worked on 15 projects uh, just, just this year, and I've able to upgrade my system. Now I'm on a brand new computer, uh, desktop, much more powerful, and I have a new DAW, and I have professional grade orchestral libraries and better synthesizers, and it's all been upgraded just by snowballing one game into the next and into the next. Mm. You obviously got a master's then in music composition. Did you that were you able to then sort of spin that into sort of professional composing or how did that come about after university before even getting into the sort of the game area? Well, exactly. So um, I graduated uh, about five years ago. I got my master's degree and then um, that was in Texas. Mm -hmm. And then my wife and I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. I currently live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, but uh, for the flat interim of five years, we just moved here to Santa Fe a couple months back. But uh, the last five years, um, I had a piano studio. I, I had always taught piano lessons and guitar lessons um, all throughout college. And so when I kind of got to the end of college and didn't have a very clear direction forward, I said, well, I've already been teaching lessons. Let's just keep doing that. And so I had a little studio and, and ran that in Raleigh successfully and, and uh, taught uh, dozens and dozens of students how to play piano and guitar. Mm -hmm. And I focused majority of my efforts on that. 
Um, I'm also a painter. If, I don't know if this is going to be shown visually, but I have paintings behind me in the video. And um, I actually started a YouTube channel for four years uh, doing paintings, mm. not music, which is what I'm trained in, but doing paintings. I just like to paint and I thought it'd be really a fun hobby. And I invested a lot of time and energy into that. It was okay. I got up to like 3000 followers on, and that's good for, for a relative. Didn't know what I was doing, but I'd learned mm. a lot of skills like how to build a website, like how to do social media management. And so all of that effort I put into that channel, I don't think is wasted. It just wasn't, that wasn't the path forward. Mm, yeah. And so I just, and at the same time, my wife was going back to school, getting her uh, second bachelor's degree in um, aerospace engineering. And she's now an aerospace engineer, uh, system engineer. And um, the, so I was supporting her by doing lessons while she was doing that. So this is kind of, now that she has a new job here in Santa Fe, this is my opportunity to sort of push forward into launching my own aspirations. Mm. You, your site has very clear pricing uh, with terms and conditions for whenever you, you are approached for a composing project. Yeah. Are your rates competitive compared to what you've seen from other people? I believe so. Um, it's competitive in the sense of I'm bringing 20 years of experience to the table mm. from a music side of things. If you tell, if a lot of times when a game compose, uh, when a game developer uh, approaches me, they'll often I'll often ask them, "Tell me about your game. What's the genre? What's the style? Maybe show me some images. Maybe even some footage from the game." And then um, I'll usually ask them to send me send me some other OSTs, uh, from other soundtracks from other games that you like that have a similar sort of vibe. Mm. And if you give me some music, and this is thanks to my training uh, of any genre, pretty much I can listen to it. Kind of process what are the instruments how is it mixed what's the balance what's the genre and then i can go and kind of recreate my version of that in my own digital workstation uh here and sort of then bring in my own original melodies and ideas to that genre mm. so i'm very eclectic if you look at my portfolio i'm not just doing one thing i work in a range of media uh, so everything from uh, doing epic orchestral fantasy stuff, um, I've done SNES GBA style, I've done 8-bit, I've done 16-bit game stuff, and I've also done a wide variety of, of genres as well, pirate stuff, western stuff, the list goes on and on, you can see the whole list on my website. But um, as far as my exact rates, uh, right now I charge by the duration, so it's uh, $40 for 30 seconds of music. That's my current kind of standard rate for gaming. And I, I think that that is um, a very, uh, for my time, because I'm, I'm spending hours of work on each track. Um, and you just tell me how long you want the track to be, and that's the cost. So I just try to keep it very simple. Mm -hmm. I just do it by the length, because I, I'm a very uh, goal-oriented person. And mm -hmm. so I want it to be completed. And I think that's the benefit of hiring someone like me, a professional composer, where this is my full-time job right now. This is what I'm doing. So I get a 10-day turnaround and I'll get it back to you and you can implement it to your game right away and everything is just smooth and get to the next level. Mm -hmm. uh, as well as composing original music uh, for projects, uh, you also have a number of music asset packs and tracks available on the site as well. Yes. Is that a lucrative revenue stream for you? Um, it's an expanding revenue stream, I hope. Um, it's something that's actually mm -hmm. fairly new. Um, I had just been doing original soundtracks only and composing that way. And then over the last three months, I've uh, developed about six, seven game asset packs. And then um, I've also been started to expand doing single individual tracks to be purchasable as well. You can find that all on my website as well. But uh, that is something that I'm still formulating and getting together and 
building an e-commerce system and all of that. That's that's relatively fresh for me. So it hasn't been lucrative yet, but I know with enough time and um, hopefully more eyeballs, I will I'll get there. Mm. I see that for the both the composing side of it and the music asset packs, you have a fairly comprehensive um, sort of contract as such that you expect people to sort of abide by. I try to, yeah. Um, whenever they, yeah, whenever they work with on a project with yourself. Um, so for the music asset packs, um, it says that, you know, it's obviously not to be sold on or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And for you to be given credit um, on whatever platforms and things as well as credits in the game. Again, is that something that you would expect uh, other composers and things to be sort of working with? Um, from my experience, um, everyone's different and how they set their uh, their licensing up will be varied by composer. So I don't want to speak on Mm -hmm. the large scale. This is a system that works pretty well for me and works, I think, well for developers. Um, They buy an asset pack from me. They can use it in many projects as they like. It's royalty free. You don't have to owe me anything. Once you buy the pack, you can use it. I just ask for credit and I ask that you don't resell it or give it away because then I can't sell it to more people. That's only Mm -hmm. fair, right? So I just try to keep it simple and basic because I want it to be accessible. I I care a great deal about independent developers and creators to be able to have a voice, but also to be able to do things affordably. And so I want to make sure that when they're buying something from me, that they're going to be able to use it as best they can, as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Whenever you're creating a piece, Mm -hmm. you'd said that the developers and what have you usually share a sort of certain amount of um, the game or whatever, you know, an idea of what it looks like, things like that, and also then what they're looking for. Yeah. Do you go intensely by what they ask for, or do you give it a little bit of sort of leeway to add your own sort of little spin on it? Um, I honestly, I try to be as close to the brief as I can. Okay. If they're asking for a specific genre, then I'm trying to be as close to that genre as I possibly can get it. Mm-hmm. Now, do I always hit the mark first off? No. But um, with refinement and effort, you can get closer and closer. And I, I do strive to, if they're saying they want something that's like technically upbeat, um, kind of 16-bit-ish, that's what they're going to get. If they want it to be mm-hmm. epic orchestral stuff with lots of drums and horns, sure, let's do it. I, I can be pretty creative within, uh, within the spaces. Mm-hmm. And I, the fun part for me is I get to write the melodies, which is the kind of thing that's original and the thing that has to be original. That's the thing that you can copyright in musical terms um, is mm-hmm. melody. Chords are universal. You, there's only so many. Um, we're all using the same set of chords. So harmony-wise, you can you can borrow harmonic ideas and even instrumentation. You can imitate different tracks and different things. But what you have to be very careful about, and what I strive to be very careful about, is not to copy someone else's melody. I, I can't go and you know rip off the Star Wars theme. You know Disney obviously owns that. I don't want to get sued here. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, you know that's the that's but that's the part I get to play in is exactly how I put the different elements together and try to take whatever I'm given and then just take it to that next level to elevate it. Mm. How different is composing music for a game project compared to composing music for a different media? Um, I know you've said that you do um, soundtracks for film and TV, etc. And obviously with um, games, it has to be maybe a little bit more adaptive in places and also with the potential for looping as well. Is that a harder consideration to take in 
whenever you're composing? Exactly. Well, um, it is a little bit different composing for films um, as, mm-hmm. than it would be for composing for a video game. Um, um, right now, as I've built up my portfolio and work with more and more people all around the world, um, a lot of what I create is uh, what we call static looping. So it's just the track plays through and then it repeats from the top. So what I have to do is just make sure as I'm writing the music that um, it flows well and that it has a clear structure. And then as I get to the end of a piece, I have to make sure that it doesn't sound too resolved at the end where it could just Mm. stop. It has to kind of be at least open-ended enough that when it goes back to the beginning, you you feel like it's continuing, but it also feels like it's where it should go. And you can do that in a couple different ways. Um, One is harmonically. So if you pause on a chord that's unresolved, when it goes back to the beginning, that's the chord that resolves. So it kind of loops back to itself. That's a classic uh, sort of Mario sort of approach to it. Yeah. You can you can have it be sort of semi-resolved at the end as well. And that can work as well. That works too. Mm. Um, for film though, the thing about film is that you're matching a picture. So you're trying to hit um, certain points of the film when there's a, a shot change. So it's like on, mm-hmm. so on one person's face, it goes to somebody else's face or maybe even a bigger shot, like it's changing a scene. Well, then the music has to shift as those shots happen, and you may not have to hit every single one, but the big moments where there's a really definite change in the picture, you you have to have the music align with that. And so you're having to adjust the music to be sort of fluid and, and not too rigid so it can kind of adjust to the different changes of the actual image. For a game, I can kind of set the tempo. Here's the speed of the music. It doesn't change. And then I write the track, mm-hmm. and then for the next section, if it's then it could be a different track, a different piece. Uh, adaptive music you mentioned that's a little bit more complicated because now you're not composing in two D, uh, left to right. You're composing in three D. You're thinking of things in a certain sense stacking on each other or fading mm-hmm. from one thing to another, and that involves a lot, a little bit more coding. Um, there's two big programs um, that you can use to do that: FMOD and WISE. I have used FMOD a bit before. Um, a lot, like I said, a lot of what I do is just pretty much static looping because that's the kind of games I'm working with. A lot of platformers. So you have a level, the level has the music. The next level has new music. It's very kind of one-to-one. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to adapt quite as much. But adaptive stuff is a lot of fun to do. It's just a different sort of challenge. And it's definitely more involved than uh, what I normally do. Have any of your finished pieces ever influenced the direction a developer has then taken with the project? I like to think so, but I honestly couldn't tell you. Um, at this, a lot of times, and a lot of developers I've worked with, I would say I come in at least three fourths of the way through the project, which a lot of people think that you know, composers get in right at the beginning, and sometimes that mm-hmm. happens. Um, I've had a few projects where the, I've come in at like they have the main title screen, and maybe they have the first two levels completed, and I'll score those, and then I'm having to, I'm having to wait for them to kind of catch up and write, make more of the game to come back to the next level. I, I work with a lot of really awesome solo developers and small teams at this point, and so you, when you only have a couple people working on something, there's going to be certain pacing, and it's going to happen when it happens, but um, I, I haven't, haven't seen that specifically yet. But because my goal, just like if I'm scoring a film, for example, my goal is to kind of match the mood and the ambience. So I'm hoping the music just slots in fairly seamlessly into what the project is rather than influencing it in a whole new direction. Mm. What instruments and equipment and software then do you use? Okay. Um, Well, 
it depends on the project, but uh, I'm a pianist. So everything I actually play, I play on the piano and into mm-hmm. my DAW. Um, right now I'm using Cakewalk, which is actually a free uh, open source DAW. Anyone can get it right now for free. It's really, really uh, good. It works extremely well for, for all the needs that I've had up to this point. And then the instruments uh, themselves, I use a lot of uh, sound libraries. Um, I have a number of things from Spitfire Audio. Mm-hmm. That's a British company. Wonderful. Um, they have, uh, I have uh, their BBC Core Symphony Orchestra, and they actually offer, a, if we're beginning composers, they have this wonderful uh, uh, Spitfire Labs, which are actually free plugins, VST plugins of different instruments. And they have like 40 of them now. Totally free. You can just go and get these really great recordings of these awesome instruments and put them right into your tracks. I've used them in, in, in work before, and they work mm-hmm. extremely well. So um, I have a number of synthesizers. Um, most of them, the ones I use the most, I would say, are like Helm, Vital. Um, I use uh, Dext. Um, I use uh, a drum sequencer called Citalia. Um, that's for my 8-bit stuff in my 808s. Um, drums. Uh, it just depends on the project, but a lot of the that's it's mostly software based. Um, I tend to write with a lot of software, and that's sort of my approach. It fits the the game genre really well, I think. You'd mentioned there um, about using samples and VST files and things like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in the past, you've worked with live musicians um, yes. that you're composing and the um, uh, saxophone and what have you. Do you have a preference for which one you enjoy more? And is there a difference for composing for either of them? It, the process is a little bit different for me. If I'm writing for an orchestral uh, orchestral piece, that's not, say, going into a video game per se, and I'm not using just samples to do that. But if I'm writing for an actual orchestra, um, well, then I would probably want to – you can do it a couple different ways – in the past, when I've done this, um, I've actually done it sort of a little more old-fashioned. I start on the piano, I'll play through it, I will sketch out by hand notes and different sections and large-scale ideas, You just using standard music notation. And then I'll go into uh, various programs like either MuseScore or Sibelius, and I'll actually notate out in those sort of um, notation softwares full scores written out using standard music notation. Mm. Um, if you're doing, if you're working on a, a digital workstation, well then you actually have instrument lanes and each instrument gets its own lane and then you're playing in and it's recording what you're playing from the keyboard and then kind of running that through MIDI and then it's uh, each instrument sounds different based on the sample you load into that instrument mm. and then those instruments play. So yeah, it is a little bit different um, in the past when I've written for live musicians. Um, I also had the w- wonderful fortune of when I've written pieces specifically for people, I get to write the piece out, hand it to them, listen to them play it, take the piece back, adjust, 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 hand it back to them, <laughs> which is wonderful. <laughs> you get that, that give and take. Where if you're working on a DAW, it's just me. I'm putting it in, I'm playing in everything, I'm automating it to sound as realistic as I possibly can, mm-hmm. and then that's the finished result. So it's sort of uh, input, there it is, versus hand it, take it back, and that sort of back and forth process. So it's a little bit different. However, if I was going to do, um, as I've done some some limited film work, then you would start on a DAW, then transfer it over, and it's a whole different process. But I don't want to, it's more about video games for me for right now, so I'll stick with that. What are your personal musical influences? Um, so growing up, I listened to a lot of uh, classical music actually as a, as a kid, um, Mm -hmm. the, I, uh, almost, almost exclusively, um, as a, as a kid. So I listened to a lot of Chopin and Beethoven and Schubert and 
uh, Dvorak particularly is a big influence. Uh, the music, more recently, music of Shostakovich, Dmitry Shostakovich, and um, so many others. There's so many great composers, and I I tend to uh, take kind of a classical music. I'm very classically trained, so that is always influencing my music. So mm. when people hear my music, they're often they can they can they've they may not know what that sound is, but it's a it's a classical world sound that's kind of coming into it. So if I'm writing like a techno-y thing, I'm still thinking of things like counterpoint, like this melody against this melody, and how does that interplay? Mm. And I'm actually using following rule sets from the Baroque period to write good counterpoint, even if I'm writing a, a, a say, like a boss battle track. In fact, um, I had a, a fun collaboration with a YouTuber where four composers got together to write a, a boss battle piece of music. But the twist was we all had to use a classical theme, an actual classical theme as the theme for the boss battle. So that was a kind of a cool combination of the, of the two. But uh, yeah, I would say classical music is kind of my home base. because That's where I'm trained the most in. At the minute, you're currently working as a freelance composer. Mm-hmm. If you were offered the opportunity, would you take a position as an in-house composer um, in a studio? If it was the right rates, yes. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not someone who feels because I think of music. I'm making, I'm writing music, and I would be writing music anyways because uh, the last twenty years I've written music. Every year of my life, I've written music. That says I've been playing mm-hmm. music, and I. I like that it has a purpose. Like I'm writing this piece and then it's going into a project. That's awesome. That's very, it brings me joy. It's exhilarating. And if I was working in a house, I would be doing the same thing. I would be writing music and it'd be going into a project. So it's for me, what my side of it, it's very, very similar. Mm. So if the pricing was right, yeah, sure. Um, as of right now though, the freelance side of things is really awesome because I get that variety, right? I'm working on this kind of game, working on like right now I'm working on a game called Paladin's Oath and it is a kind of a card-based game mm-hmm. and it's tactical and it's RPG and that's very, very different than say, if I go over here to a roguelike, like the Island of Spirits that I wrote for or a Boulder Mage is another one I'm working on that's kind of a roguelike RPG-esque thing and that's a different genre. So it's you get that variety. If you're in-house, you might be working on one project for months and months and months. So that would be a little bit slower, a little bit different, mm. but um, I'm open to any opportunities I can get, really. Do you find that you are reaching out more to developers yourself or are you visible enough or easy enough to find that they are coming to you with their projects? Right. So um, I find it's more effective if you're not pushy. <laughs> it's more mm-hmm. effective if you're going and trying to spam, you know, 200 developers and going, that you know like let me play work on your game that might work to a certain level but making connections with people is more valuable um and i've one thing i've learned about social media stuff is you have to give people a reason to care about your stuff like if you're just putting your stuff up and it's all look what i'm doing look what i'm doing look what i'm doing you have to do that and you should do that i'm not saying that but if you can like be actively commenting on other people's stuff and promoting other people's stuff and supporting that I find the feedback is much greater. So mm. one thing when I try to reach out to the community and to sort of network with people is on on Twitter, which is my main social media platform. I host a Wishlist Wednesday share thread. People can come in, share their Wishlist Wednesdays to their uh, Steam pages for their indie games. Um, and I get on average 60 to 100 people 
sharing their games every Wednesday. And then on Fridays, I'll do a Follower Friday shout out. I'll tag 60 people and be like, mm-hmm. check out these creators. They're awesome. They're doing really good work. And then uh, on Saturdays, I do the same thing again. I'll do another share paid for Screenshot Saturday. And any indie developers who want to come join those things, please do. You can find me on Twitter um, at Music. But uh, yeah, it's, it's great to... Uh, help promote other people. So then when someone shares something with me, I often retweet almost everybody um, because mm-hmm. I want to boost them. I want them to know that they matter and that their game matters. Yeah. And so I found by doing that, um, like I said, I've worked on 15 projects this year. I did my very first project December of last year. And in one year, I've gone from having a MacBook Air laptop that barely ran to having a new computer, worked on all these games. Uh, I am floored and I am grateful to to be able to do what I've done in this past year. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the sort of current boom in uh, game soundtracks and what have you being available? The fact that artists can now sell their own music via DLC for a game or even via Bandcamp and even limited vinyl releases and things? I think it's pretty awesome. Um, it's The internet is an equalizer in many ways. You can you can use it to promote yourself in a way and have a platform in a way that I think in other, in other in the past that hasn't been quite so accessible to everybody. Um, mm. In the past, you had to know the right person at the right time doing the right thing, and then you kind of level up that way through a system where now as independent people, we can just get online and if you want to start a podcast, start a podcast. If you want to write music, you can write music. If you want to make a game, you can do that. You can just do it. The thing that I think that I uh, wanted to know, knew I wanted to do more professional work and had these skills, but I, I think I was kind of almost doing that thing of playing what I call the someday game, which is, oh, someday I'll do this, or I can't do this until I have that. But mm-hmm. if you just start, you can do a lot more than you think you can. And oftentimes you'll go farther than you, you realize. And so that's what I've started to learn more and more. Even my own life the last few years is just try and you might get farther than you think. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, so three quick questions then. Uh, what was the first single or album you bought? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I, had to, I had to think about this one. Um, let me think for a second. Hmm. So as a kid, I had a, a tape cassette tape player uh, that was kind of a tape CD slash combo thing. And um, I actually bought a lot of cassette tapes as my first like access to music because they were cheap. I could go into a secondhand store. I could buy them for like 25 cents. And so I built up this catalog of music that was mostly classical music. I think one of the first ones I bought was Dvorak's um, Ninth Symphony, New World Symphony, and one of his concertos and then mm. i've purchased the complete collection of all the beethoven symphonies and and so on and so forth so um his classical music was is the answer um i remember my grandmother gave me a cd of dvorak's ninth symphony and it was kind of mind-blowing the music and the style i was like this is amazing I, can i get more of this and that was what led me to buy cassette tapes which isn't the best quality mm-hmm. but it was a way for me um to to have access to it. And it was, it was pretty cool. I didn't have a computer growing up until I was like nine or 10. Um, mm. And so we were a little bit late to the computer game in my, my family. So I think that had an impact on when I was buying what. Just as a side question, yeah. where do you stand on the sort of the audiophile side of vinyl versus CD or, you know, more analog music versus digital music? Um, it's all about personal preference and taste. Um, mm-hmm. Objectively, 
there is something really innately cool about vinyl in the sense that it's the actual sound etched into an object. And then you play mm -hmm. that object back and you get the actual sound coming back at you. And that's sort of wild to think about this uh, 18th century technology. I'm sorry, 19th century technology. Um, uh, and it's a pretty neat uh, in the sense of like wax cylinders and then it progressed to vinyl. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, but I think if it's what you have, music is music. So if you're enjoying something that's digital, great. Um, I work almost exclusively in digital. So that's my bread and butter. So I, I is there a difference in terms of sound? Probably, but is the average person who's untrained musically going to be able to tell the difference? Um, if you played them in a vinyl against the digital recording back to back, probably, but just in sort of in the in the way of life, I don't think it makes that big a difference in terms of one is so much worse or or not. A lot of people like to stake their claim into things like this is the only way it has to be or that's the only way. It's like, well, does it work? Great. That's all I care about. <laughs> <laughs> I always like the um, Mike Oldfield stance on it is that. It doesn't matter what you're playing. If you're playing it through two old tin cans, it's going to sound exactly the same. <laughs> that's that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, who is your musical hero? Oh, that's a good question. I would say um, I, I really admire the work of Dmitry Shostakovich, the Soviet Union composer. He was someone who wrote a lot of really great um, orchestral music, um, stuff for small ensembles. For uh, His string quartets are brilliant. One of my favorites is his string quartet number eight. Um, check that out if you've ever heard it. It's a very challenging piece of music. It's quite uh, harsh and has some uh, quite some dissonant, almost atonal moments, but uh, it's a very beautiful piece of music. And if you follow it through, it has a, a wonderful sort of progression with it. But I think what I admire about him is that his his perseverance in the face of a lot of opposition, right? He's working mm -hmm. in the time of the Soviet Union at its height. Um, things are very authoritarian and he's trying to, he, he's working as a state composer. And if you don't, if your music isn't considered acceptable by the state at the time, you, you could get blacklisted, which he did more than once. Mm -hmm. And then he couldn't make money and he has a family to feed. And then he has to write another piece to try to get back in into good graces. And, uh, the enormous pressure of that to do that as a as a creative person to, to am I in or am I out and not knowing uh, and mm -hmm. but to still do it anyways because I I need to create that the drive to create is so strong what a what a cool perseverance and I I think that that is something I want to emulate myself is if it doesn't if you don't doesn't work the first time just keep trying and mm -hmm. try to be creatively true to yourself but also recognize that sometimes you have to write something that has more of a function to it and that's okay and the balance of those things politically um there's debate whether he was pro-russia or not pro-russia and you can do your own research about that make up your own mind about that uh, i'm not talking about the politics here i'm just talking about the the actual like perseverance of it that's what i admire mm -hmm. what was the last piece of music that moved you Oh, um, that's a great question as well. Uh, I would say um, one of the last pieces of music that I heard that really moved me was um, I was watching the film The Green Knight, and the composer for that is um, a composer named Daniel Hart. And in that film, which is based on a Arthurian legend, that you're following this knight as he's going along, and um, he's trying to prove himself. And there's one moment he runs into giants, and the music got so serene. And then there was these sort of whale song sounds that came 
through as these giants are sort of singing and chanting and humming along as they're just walking into the distance. And the combination, I think about the cinematography, the imagery of that, mm -hmm. plus the, the musical build, that entire score is just brilliant. I, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to tweet at the composer um, on Twitter and he replied, which blew my mind, <laughs> uh, the craziness, um, and just told him that I really enjoyed his soundtrack and thought it was brilliant. And um, uh, it was a really cool connection. But yeah, that music is something else. Pretty great, pretty great. <laughs> Thank you very much, Charles. Uh, at this stage of the interviews, I always pass it over to the guests uh, to give any shout outs or plugs, um, obviously for yourself, but also for anybody else um, that you think deserves a shout out. Absolutely. Um, well, for myself, I'll just start with that. Um, you can find me on Twitter, like I said, at Music. You can find my website, charleswolfmusic.com. Um, on there, I have my portfolio. Um, I have uh, all my rates and stuff. I have my uh, music packs, assets, and so forth. And you can check all of that out there. Um, Twitter is the best way to get a hold of me. You can DM me. It's always open. And if you're an indie developer out there looking for a composer, I'd love to talk to you. Hit me up. Um, as far as shout outs, um, I just want to shout out the uh, amazing people that I've gotten to work with, some of them. Um, I want to shout out Stronghearth45, uh, my friend who did the very help get me to start, which was letting me score uh, her amazing game, Gem Trek. I want to shout out Daniel Calvin, uh, a comic book author who hired me to write a 22-minute uh, suite for his comic book. And I read it in this kind of sweeping, uh, corn gold-esque, um, high Hollywood sound. And it was an amazing project to get to work on, scoring scenes from his comic book. Um, that was an amazing project. And I'm looking forward to working with him again very soon is all I can say about that. And then I wanted to shout out um, some more recent people as well. Um, Space Catarus um, on Twitter, he had me do an SNES style a game as well as Bath Thief, Boulder Mage, Jacob Dabrowski Zero for Amazing Wizard, and Paladin's Oath, Fire Biscuit Game. Those are some really cool people. There's more I could say, um, but I'll, I'll leave it there. <laughs> That's lovely. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you want to get in contact with the show, um, I'm the show Twitter page is at How to Make a Game. That's the How to the number two. Uh, my personal Twitter is Saintly Stewart. Uh, you can email the show at howtomakeagamecast at gmail.com and obviously the podcast is available on anchor.fm and other podcast platforms. As I said, thank you very much, Charles. Um, it's, yeah, that's been good fun to it has. And yeah, it's such a wide um, sort of area of games and it's not until you actually sit down and think about it that you realise how important music is to a lot of media. But mm -hmm. as you say, particularly with games, it really sort of sets the scene and the tone mm -hmm. and there are some very iconic themes um, out there that just instantly transport people into the first time that they played those games. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. Yeah, no, thank you very much. And goodbye. Goodbye.